The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the comeback, whether it can be trusted, we'll ask the investment committee, which is making more key portfolio changes today. Joining me for the hour Jenny Harrington, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, John Ajaran. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go to the wall, take a look at the markets. We've been around in about a bit. The Dow is holding on to 31 points. NASDAQ, that's where the focus has been, one-third of 1%. Yields, 172. Not a crazy move in yields today, despite a CPI year-over-year headline, the most in 40 years. Can we trust the bounce in tech? Steve Weiss, or is it still vulnerable? I look at your moves and your moves would suggest to me that you think you can trust it because you took all your shorts off on Monday and you also have your exposure back up significantly. So are you a believer in this bounce? I was a believer in a Monday afternoon. Uh, I would have liked to see, or I would like to see, you know, we see how quickly things change. Monday, we saw them change yesterday. And I'm going to wait to see if they change this afternoon. Look, we're not done with the volatility. The volatility is going to continue. Right now, what seems to be placating the market is that yields went too far too fast and haven't been short the TLT. That was phenomenal for me. But I'm not short the TLT anymore. I took that off as well. And the reason, the impetus of taking it off, was when they released uh, Jay Powell's opening statements uh, to, the nom- to, the, uh, to the committee. Uh, for his approval for another term. Um, It's about what I expected. So the market had digested that. Here we are now. I think we're getting closer to the bottom in yields again, and we'll see them ratchet up. But you have some time. So in answer to your question directly, we're not done nearly at all. It's like three minutes before you answer my question directly, Weiss. Let's go. The train's leaving the station. We don't have time to I, I needed the background. Yeah, you need to get wound no, up first. I, I got it. Yeah, I, I was too happy. I had to get into my miserable mood to be me. Look, <laughs> we're not done with these companies that are selling at 100 times revenues because that's not a proper valuation. And you can't stick a, a stick in the sand and say 75 times revenue is appropriate. So they have further to go. And any pops, I would sell those. The others, I think there is value there. I have always thought there's value there, and that's why I didn't sell any of them. My exposure came down because I put on hedges, so I'm staying with the stocks for now. But if I see yields start to turn again, then I'll put those hedges back on. Okay. Uh, well, you did buy more applied materials and on semi, so, I mean, you are taking advantage of, of some of the declines to buy some more stock. That has to say something, Weiss. Give me the direct answer this time, yeah, too, right no, off the No, absolutely. All right. Right off the bat, Scott, I'm coming right at you. They got cheaper, and they came down more than the other stocks, and for the most part, I didn't have a full position in applied materials. 
I had almost full position on on in on. I wanted to load up and be full in those. And as you may recall, else what's more, Facebook got down a lot lower. But I'm starting to get out of that trading position while keeping my core position intact. Okay, so we have had a nice bounce in some technology stocks, Jenny. Um, Alphabet's up three and a half percent. By the way, I was looking at Apple a little bit earlier. You know, I know we're so focused on Kathy Wood stocks and all these, and I'm pulling it up, so bear with me a second. I mean, we're not that far away from a high. We're like seven I bucks. Know where you're going. Alphabet's up three and a half percent in a couple of days. Okta, 10%. Unity, 10%. Datadog, three. Adobe, four and a half. Palantir. So a lot of these stocks have bounced. Should we be believers or sellers? Um, you should probably be sellers on the strength because the reality is, is most of the ones on the list that you named are still trading at valuations that don't make sense for their current growth prospects. So off the top of my head, I don't know what the valuations on Palantir and Datadog are, but I do know what it is on Apple. Apple's earnings growth for the next two years are expected to be about 3% next year and about 5% the following year. The multiple on something that grows in that range doesn't make sense. Okay, Apple's an amazing company. I'm not saying it should go down a lot, but it doesn't make sense that it should be a huge grower from here. Um, to Steve's point earlier, there's a lot of bifurcation. So you have companies that are trading at 100 times revenues. That doesn't make sense. And what Steve said is just because it traded 100 times before, it's trading at 75 times now, it doesn't make it a buy. And this is where when we talk about tech, I'm having flashbacks to the 90s right now. And in the 90s, you know, I was one of the people who was totally in and totally gung-ho. And I thought, oh, great, you know, something's down 80% or 50%, now's the time to buy. Like, no, no, it wasn't. Because just because something's down significantly doesn't mean that today and their future prospects going forward make today's share price the right price to buy in at. So I think we need to be very careful in saying, Buy tech. I think this is that year where you need to be a stock picker and you need to go company by company by company. We own AMAT2, for example. We've actually trimmed it a little bit here and a little bit there. And we're just talking about it yesterday, which is, look, this is an amazing company. Growth prospects for the semi-space are still fantastic. But the multiple that it trades at today is not what we were paying for it a year ago and two years ago. And the growth prospects on AMAT going forward are just not what they were. But we have other companies like Palo Alto and Cisco. Those I think you can buy here because they're not stratospheric. I know everyone's gonna pick on me for Intel, but Intel, there's decent growth prospects ahead on that. It's trading at a fraction of a multiple. So I don't think you say buy growth on this comeback. I don't even really know that it is a comeback, but I think you can say sort through, find the companies that are fairly valued with reasonable growth prospects ahead and pick carefully. Okay, Dr. J, uh, what do you make of all that? Well, I, I always agree with picking stocks carefully, Judge. Um, as you know, Pete and I tend to follow momentum, um, and we're following it not from, uh, you know, the meme stock folks, no offense, guys, uh, but we're following it from institutional-sized trades. Um, so did we start to see that yesterday? Yeah, we did. Uh, to Steve's point, we started to see it late Monday, um, and then it bled over into yesterday for a very nice rally. But... And here's the cautionary part of that, too, Judge. The uh, volume was down about 14 percent, um, which might not seem like a lot. But when you're doing 42 million contracts and all of a sudden you drop down to 35 million contracts um, on a big rally day, that's telling you that it was either a very concentrated, which I believe it was very concentrated rather than broad and b 
there were a lot of non-believers. Now, if we wanted to continue to play contrarian, we could say, well, those non-believers, that's great because that means not everybody's on the bus and we can, you know, see more rallies to come. I'm playing for, you know, some grinding hire, not rallies like yesterday, Scott, but grinding hire. Um, and to me, that'll prove out uh, whether or not we have seen the turn. Joe Terranova, uh, here we are talking about technology and U.S.-centric stuff. And most of what you got going on and your new moves are outside the U.S., which nobody really talks about enough. You bought the Vanguard Europe ETF. That's the VGK. And you bought the Emerging Markets ETF, the IEMG. Emerging markets, by the way, are a big winner so far this year. The EEM's up 3.5% year to date. So why is the best opportunity right now not here? Because geographic diversification is what you're going to need to manage the volatility in 2022. Specifically in the emerging markets, you're seeing emerging market debt so far have a strong start to 2022. You've got a valuation discount that is dramatic relative to the S&P 500. And I want to capture some of the semiconductor recovery specifically in Asia. So IEMG, the largest holding is Taiwan Semi. Speaking towards the VGK, that's exposure to Europe. I've told you in the past couple of weeks, the German 10-year Treasury is going to flip into positive territory for the first time since May of 2019. If this is going to be a continuation of a value-oriented rally, you're going to see the one geographic region where you have the largest composition of value companies perform well. You're seeing that year-to-date. U.S. financials, they're ultimately going to find, they're going to find a boundary uh, for investors that want to raise allocations to financials. They're going to look overseas. They're going to see the dramatic discount that European banks have relative to the U.S. So I just feel that in 2022, to manage the volatility, you need geographic diversification. Let's go to Europe. Let's go to the emerging markets to get it. Why would you sell Fortinet? You initially bought it in May at 214. Let's mm -hmm. throw it up. You could tell our viewers why you decided mm -hmm. to sell it. Yeah, so I listened to everyone's comments at the opening here. I want to just go back for a second here and understand there's a strong correlation in the beginning of the year between the 10-year Treasury and the NASDAQ. 10-year Treasury, eight trading days so far in 2022. First six trading days goes higher. Well, on Monday morning at 1021, a 10-year Treasury price is at 1.80. 27 minutes later, Scott, 27 minutes later, the NASDAQ bottoms. You now have had a significant recovery. It's going to take you into earnings, right? So you're going to be okay into earnings. But if you have high beta exposure in technology, take advantage of the recovery we have right now and sell out of it. That's why I sold Fortinet. It's got a beta of 1.67. That's too high. I'm not comfortable with it. Okay. The market's giving me a gift of getting out, and I'm taking advantage. So you'd be a seller then on, on rips. That, that's the market that we're in. So Kalanovic no. says, Kalanovic says no. buy the dip. No, no, no. No, no. I did not say that. Well, I, I what know. I, I said was. I, I took what you said, and then I decided to say it. But go ahead. Okay. So, no, no, no. Well, you're wrong. So you're wrong. Go ahead. So I, what I said was the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ, as I told you on Monday, okay. was going to have a short covering rally. Boom, we have it. The technical formation for the NASDAQ is intact. 
you did not break the 20 the 200 day moving average that gets you to earnings that's going to support technology overall but if you have high beta exposure and you know what's got if you're trading you have to understand what that means if you have high beta exposure now is the moment to get out of high beta exposure the other names you're talking about alphabet apple they're not high beta stocks those technology companies are going to be fine they're still going up a lot earnings. so they're still going up you, a lot i mean Stephanie Lake sold it out of Alphabet yesterday and put the money into Meta. I mean, Alphabet was up big last year. So she used the pop to get out of a name even like the ones that you suggest are going to be just fine. No problem with that. That's, that's a personal decision on her part. I could tell you that I thought Alphabet held the 200-day perfectly and they're not changing their capital allocation strategy. I hold Alphabet. I don't hold Facebook. For a variety of reasons, I'm comfortable in that positioning, but I respect pers uh, Stephanie's decision. I don't think anyone on the show would question that. So let, let's discuss some of what Jeffrey Gunlock of Double Line had to say in his webcast because he made some news with these headlines that I think we need to discuss uh, in terms of where we are and where we may be going from here. He says, among other things, the rest of the world is significantly cheaper than the U.S. stock market. So he agrees, I think, with Joe Terranova. He says it's undeniable that the stock market has been supported by QE. I think we'd all agree with that. So expect headwinds for the stock market with Fed tapering, not predicting a recession yet, but expect recessionary pressures to build. Pretty powerful flattening. Yield curve is approaching a point where it signals economic weakening. At this stage, the yield curve is no longer sending a don't worry, be happy signal. It's sending a pay attention signal. Remains to be seen if Powell will follow through on promises to do everything he, it takes to get inflation under control. Jenny, what do you make of what Jeffrey Gunlock is saying? By the way, he, we're going to speak to him in person next month at the Super Bowl. I can't wait for that. So you'll hear from him directly. But here it is a few weeks ahead of that. What do you think about it? So when I first read these comments, I thought, oh, my God, I agree with Gunlock. I never agree with Gunlock. And then I started thinking about the fact that he's basically a permable. And if you're a permable, you fall into that category of a broken clock is right twice a day, right? And so I think that's a bit where my agreement comes with a comes in right now, which is I am cautious. You think Jeffrey sorry, Gunlock's perma a Sorry, permabear. Thank you. Ah, no, no, permabear. I'm so sorry. Thank you for correcting me. Um, but for the most part, thank you so much for trying to get our interview canceled but like three weeks prior to I just oh, teased I'm the so whole sorry. thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, but he's you know generally bearish a lot of the time and so for me agreeing with him is not i don't think is not wow we're both bearish at the same time it's that he's generally bearish and i'm i'm cautious i wouldn't say i'm bearish but i'm cautious so i read his comments and i totally agree and i also thought it was interesting um that he focused on the europe part and that joe focused on the europe part or the international part because i completely agree with that too i think that there's a lot of value there and we have a market that's skewing towards towards value um so i agree there are a lot of headwinds coming our way and gunlack highlights them really well right now Joe, do you think that we have some significant headwinds ahead with the tapering? Or, I mean, isn't it in the market already? It seems to me the only question at this point is where are rates going? And how many times is the Fed going to hike mm -hmm. rates in calendar year 2022? The tapering's like old news at this point. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So what do we have? 90% probability of four <laughs> hikes right now. That's what the market is pricing in. Um, you know, got a little bit of comfort yesterday in his messaging uh, that the balance sheet runoff was going to be handled in a conservative way. Uh, maybe that made the market feel better. But, Scott, I'll tell you one thing. 
that no one yesterday mentioned that Senate confirmation hearing and to me is the single most important inflation wild card for 2022. Look at the price of oil. Price of oil is, is approaching $83 right now. 83, yeah, 83. We'll call it 83. 11% higher for natural gas today. You're going to tell me the Federal Reserve isn't going to have to be hawkish in 2022 if the price of oil is sitting where it is right now. So I think that's the biggest indicator. Well, it's no wonder that in our stock summit, you had multiple people on the committee pick energy mm -hmm. as their leading sector this year to back up a great year in 2021, Doc. Yeah, exactly, Scott. I mean, inventories um, were at a, uh, what, uh, four-year low um, for crude oil, to Joe's point. Um, I think the car prices and the used car prices, as well as homes, are going to be more of what the Fed pays attention to, Joe. Uh, I think, obviously, this is a significant input, uh, the price of crude oil um, and, and the resulting distillates. But... Um, Higher interest rates aren't going to affect that as much as they will affect those used autos, new autos and homes, in my opinion, Scott. And so that's why the Fed has to has no choice. They have to talk like a hawk um, and they will continue to do so. If they get help from the market somehow, um, then I think that they could back off a little bit. Otherwise, they're going to have to make it seem like March is the day. March will be in play. And if that is indeed the case, then you're justifying the 170 to 190 area for that tenure. You know, Weiss, I, I was looking at Twitter and somebody was asking whether you have anything new going on. I mean, they're tired of hearing about I added to this, I added to that. I was short this for 10 seconds. I covered it before the show. And then I looked at my notes and I noticed that you, do, guy, Scott. that you do have something new. You bought Eastman Chemical. <laughs> That's new. What about this stock made you want to buy it, it right new. here? Well, the stock's misunderstood, often like I am on this show by you, frankly. Um, it's misunderstood. <laughs> it's thought of as a commodity company. It's valued as a commodity chemical company. I definitely think of you as a commodity waste. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so then we're on the same page. I'm like platinum, though. You know, uh, that's my commodity. I was thinking Very more like lumber. Commodity. But... <laughs> uh, uh, toilet, toilet paper. Hey, John, John, don't you have to hit the, John, don't you have to hit the oh. slopes anytime soon? Go ahead, Weiss. Um, Go ahead. Listen, it's, it's okay. dark here. Eastman Steve. Chemical. <laughs> Perfect. Go out. Eastman Chemical. It's being re-rated. So it was re-rated re -rated lower recently, and continuing to people thinking of it, and even analysts, that it's a commodity chemical company. It's not. They got rid of their commodity business, their tire additive business, part of their adhesive businesses, and they are now more into the growth end. As a result, it's still selling at a major discount to the other specialty chemical companies, but it's growing nicely. So they'll put up 10, 10 bucks this year. Management came out with that number, 950 to 10. That's 12 times. They're, put, they're throwing off a ton of cash. Free cash flow yield is about 8%. And for Jenny, of course, it's got a dividend. It's got a yield. So they're buying back stock. And the other thing I like about it, it's more green than a lot of the other specialty chemical companies. They've got a new technology that uses recycling, molecular recycling of polyester, which, given your wardrobe, you should be thrilled about that. So I think the stock can be a lot better. I think it can go up, I don't know, 30, 40 points from here. 
Let's bring in our market headliner now. Jeremy Siegel is a professor <laughs> of finance at the Wharton School. He's back with us now. Professor, it's good to see you. Happy New Year. Welcome back. Thank you, Scott. So where are we in this market? Well, it we well, feels like it's a little treacherous, tumultuous, and then all of a sudden we've had a nice rally and maybe we're feeling better and yields are cooperating. Yeah, well, but, you know, I think we have to look at that CPI report this morning. Now, it wasn't as bad as some had thought, but it wasn't good. And as one of our um, participants here said, I'm, I'm looking at oil at 83. I mean, that's like $1 from its high. Um, you know, energy was minus 4% in that December figure. It's not going to be minus 4.4% in the January figure. Everything is pointing upward. I mean, uh, you know, some of the people saying, oh, well, the services is, is we look at hospital services. Do we know what's happening in the hospitals? Do you think that those services are going to stay only 1% above the cost of what it was a year ago? Uh, everything is going up. And as I've said, Scott, and you know, you interviewed me all through last year, the Fed is going to have to be far more aggressive than certainly what they thought last year. And in my opinion, far more aggressive than what the street thinks this year. But Professor, OK, uh, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and say, OK, you're right. Everything is going up. Theoretically, it, it is everything that's going up, but it's not going to stay up forever, Professor. This is all pushed on by mostly, I know some are going to be throwing their stuff at the TV saying, well, it's the Fed, the Fed, the Fed, the pandemic. And we got supply shortages as a, as a result of the pandemic in a lot of stuff, commodities and semis and autos and this and that. I can mean, I could go on and on. And that's the principal reason that you've got the inflation that you do. And then come later in the spring and in the summer, it's going to moderate. Why is that not going to happen? I don't think that's true. I think it's too much money. I mean, we, and you have a 35% increase since March of 2020, something that we have never seen before. When 2020 money growth exceeds anything in our 150-year history that we have money growth. Um, and this year is, is um, uh, 2021 was 15% money growth. Um, this is way too much money. This is a demand problem not just a supply chain problem. This is too much money chasing too few goods. Um, and, you know, flight prices start, are not going to go down. The question is, when are they going to stop going up? And uh, uh, you might I think be right. will happen. You might be, you might be right. Look, you might be right on wages. Th those yeah. may not come down. But other things have already come down along the uh, commodity complex. Uh, the, the general commodity indices, take a look at the CRB index, take a look at the Goldman Sachs index, they are right near their all-time highs. Yes, certainly lumber had soared last year, and it has come down from its highs and a few of others. But if you take uh, uh, an average of them, they are near their own time highs. And as I said, you take the most important one of all, oil, um, that it's back up at its all-time high despite, you know, the, the, the Omicron virus and the travel dearth of uh, the cancellation of, um, of, of flights and, and, and planes, which is definitely a big user of oil. All that oil is near its all-time high. That does not bode well for 2022, um, in my opinion. You, you sound like you're running around saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Are you selling everything no. you have? I mean, no. No, no, no. Listen, in an, uh, as I said, stocks are real assets. 
You just can't hold paper assets, um, which are bonds. They're the worst. Stocks are real assets. What, what higher real rates does mean is the rotation that we've been talking about. That certainly happened in, in the first week of this year. And I think it's going to happen throughout the rest of this year. No, I'm not out of stocks. But I st- <laughs> because people are going to, yeah, Tina, right? There is no alternative. Where are you going to go? Uh, <laughs> you're going to go to bonds. You're going to go to cash, which is disappearing. It's 7% inflation, which is going to go higher, in my opinion. It's disappearing at 7% a year because you're getting no interest on it. Okay, so... so- so you want to stay? So you want to stay in stocks, but it also sounds to me like you're suggesting that this is finally values moment, or cyclic, cyclical stocks are going to dramatically outperform growth and technology because of where rates and the Fed are going to have to do their thing. Is that right? Well, you know, certainly, I think so. I think listen, dividend dividend stocks are protected against inflation because firms have been able to raise their prices, their cash flows, and increase their dividends. And I think that is what investors are going to seek in 2022. Dividend, you could go to tips at minus one. That's not an answer. You have dividend paying stocks at two and a half, three, three and a half, four, well-protected dividends that are rising and you have capital gains. Professor, uh, you're talking, you are talking Jenny Harrington's language. I need to get her into the conversation right now. I, I easily just need to see her on camera, make sure she is still sitting in her chair and not standing up, jumping and right. cheering at what you're As saying. My heart, I am, and my heart's growing three sizes. And thank you so much, Professor Siegel, for the endorsement on the dividend stocks. Um, thank you. One of the interesting char- charts that, no, thank you. <laughs> one of the interesting charts that Joe showed before was the correlation of the NASDAQ and the 10-year Treasury. And as you know, there's an even more interesting correlation between CPI and the 10-year Treasury. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about where you think the 10-year goes as it correlates so closely historically with CPI. Well, the... the Certainly, if we go back in the 70s, we had very, very high interest rates and high inflation. Uh, A lot of people are puzzled. Why isn't the 10-year higher than it is now? And I've written about this. The 10-year has become the favorite short-term hedge of so many money managers. Because we know if the Dow, you know, something bad happens, the Dow's down two or 3,000 points, your treasuries are up three points. And that cushion, that insurance policy, has become, and the statistics show that, more valuable over time. It's not an answer for long-term investors, but short-term investors who like a little short-term cushion are willing to pay the price. I think they're paying far too high a price for that. But that's one reason why the 10-year is not to two and a half or 3% now, is that there's been a tremendous flood of demand into longer-term treasuries as that so-called risk asset hitch. Hey, Professor, can you do me a favor? I don't know if you have a class to go teach or if you have an appointment. Can you can you stick around? Can we take a break and come back and continue our conversation? I got to pay some bills, but I don't want to lose you. Can you can you hang with me? Um, unfortunately, today I do have something at 1230. Oh, Professor. So another day, Scott. All right. Let me ask. Let, let me ask you one last question, though. One last question. There are forecasts that we can hit. I don't know. Fifty one hundred. This year, 5,200 on the S&P. Does that make sense to you? Yes. I mean, it does. Because, again, people are going to say, I've got to be in real assets. 
Interest rates are going to go up, but, but that makes bonds worse, by the way. I mean, you, until you wait for the interest rates to go up. And still, what's a two or a two and a half and a three percent bond when you're having five, six, seven percent inflation? That's not a good answer either. All right. You Stocks to, are a place to be. All right. You go to your appointment. I apologize for negotiating with you on live television, but I wanted to see how far I could go. So we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Scott. You you take care. That's Professor Jeremy Siegel at the Wharton School. Financials hitting record highs again. Big banks reporting earnings in less than 48 hours from now. We have a number of bullish calls on one stock ahead of that. We'll talk about it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Oh, here we go. Big banks getting ready to report their earnings on Friday. And ahead of that, Wells Fargo gets upgraded to overweight Piper. It was also named the top 2022 pick at Morgan Stanley. We've made it our call of the day today, at least one of them. As a result of all that, Piper goes to 64 bucks from 50. Morgan Stanley's target is 61. Wells hasn't been trading where it is since September of 2018. It's off to a riveting start this year. It's up 17 and a half percent. Yet for some reason, nobody on the desk owns it. Steve Weiss, why is that? You know, I've looked at it and I do I, I do really admire the CEO. Uh, he's pretty accomplished. He's been doing the right things, been patient. But Charlie Scharf, I mean, it's kind of sad. This is their top. Yeah, Charlie Scharf. But this is it's kind of sad that their top pick has 10 percent upside. I think there's much greater upside in some of the others. Wells Fargo well, never like really reflected the poor fundamental. Well, I, I own. I, I think Goldman, for example, that's what I own. I believe B of A still has plenty of room to the upside. Wells Fargo never re- fully reflected the poor fundamentals, so it's been paid for in advance when Charlie came on board. So that's why I'm not that excited about it. Look, I think it'll go up with the others, but in terms of leveraged interest rates, I like Goldman and I like uh, B of A much better. Jenny, what do you make of Wells? I think we need to give Stephanie Link a lot of credit for being the one who is timely and early with this. It's up 66% in the last 52 weeks, 17% year to date. And I like the call. We'd actually been doing work on it and we're just slow. So we didn't get in and I regret not having get it, gotten in earlier. And I read the analyst calls and I think they're good. So there's not 66%, there's not likely to be 66% ahead of it, 
but I think there's decent upside from here. So I regret not owning it right now. Okay, good looking out for the Linkster. I'm sure she'll appreciate that. She does deserve props on that. So <laughs> Joe, uh, and then I want Dr. J's opinion too. Uh, but Joe Kramer was talking about this morning as being just the worst setup possible for, for Wells. It, it's run a lot into the number. And Sharf is just not the kind of guy who's going to go on the call and give you some rave, you know, glowing narrative about what's happening. It's just not his his style. So what do you do with this if if you're an investor here or you're thinking about buying it off of these calls that we just read you? Okay, well, first of all, I, I don't own Wells. Wells has been the outperformer in a mean reversion trade. It's up 16 percent relative to City, USB and Bank of America, which I own. They're up 11 percent. We know that Charlie Schaff has been excellent in reducing expenses. The prior quarters have told you that. They have to complete the consent order. The upside is that they're able to uh, complete that faster. The question is the loan growth, and that's why I'm not in Wells Fargo, because I'm not necessarily sure you're going to see the above average, incredibly strong loan growth that Wells is going to need to catch up with a lot of uh, the banking institutions. So. Uh, I haven't been in the name, and I don't think I'll be in the name until I see that loan growth, and that's something that there's a lack of clarity towards. Uh, Doc, man, I, I remember, you know, way back when the worst of the Wells news was hitting. Uh, we're talking a few years at this point, um, and I mean the real worst of it, yep. Doc. You were like, come on. Oh, yeah. Come on. You were a buyer. You were a buyer, but you don't own it yep. anymore. I was. Nope. Um, I haven't for a couple months, Scott. Uh, that, you know, shame on me, because uh, obviously, uh, to Joe's point, there's been some significant outperformance, especially in the short term. But I do like the other stocks uh, in the financial sector better. Still, Scott, I mean, J.P. Morgan, Capital One, um, uh, U.S. Bank, uh, I like all of those better than Wells right here. They're getting a lot of upgrades. I mean, everybody has upgraded the stock in the last uh, 10 days mm -hmm. leading into this. Um, so uh, is Kramer right? Is it going to be a broken dream because that's just all on the table right now? They could end up pulling a rabbit out of a hat, uh, but I'm not going to be in it right now. I haven't seen unusual activity in it for let me, quite a while. Hey, let me ask you real quick, and then you've got to be quick. Um, this PayPal call today. Okay. PayPal's been stuck. I think Kramer's called it purgatory. I mean, it just hasn't really done much of late. It's down year to date. It got downgraded today at Jeffries. Uh, and it's a stock that people watch closely and have followed some of you all in. Yeah. Um, you own calls. What's the story? You bet. Here? Yeah. Well, um, as I said, I was trying to buy it under 180. I ended up paying just over 180 for it. Yesterday, I thought I was a genius, Scott. It was up six bucks through 191. And I was kind of uh, tweeting back at my haters saying, OK, where are you now? Now, today, it gives up five and a half bucks like that. Um, there's a lot of downgrades. This is the exact opposite of Wells Fargo. Everybody is downgrading targets. And in particular, Jeffries, of course, not only cut the target, but took it to a hold. Um, I'm still comfortable holding the stock, especially writing fat calls against it, Scott. Okay, good stuff. We'll take a quick, actually, we won't take a quick break. We're going to go to Rahel Solomon, who has the headlines. Hi, Rahel. Scott, and here's what's happening at this hour. President Biden is expected to go to ha Capitol Hill tomorrow to discuss voting rights and potential changes to Senate rules. Multiple reports say that he will attend a Senate Democratic caucus lunch to drum up support for election reform. On Capitol Hill right now, former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid is lying in state. Colleagues and friends are gathering to pay tribute to the five-term senator. Reid is just the 41st person to be given this honor. 
Number one ranked tennis player Novak Djokovic admits that he did not isolate after testing positive for COVID and that it was an error in judgment. He also says that there were mistakes made on his Australian immigration forms. The comments were a part of a statement by Djokovic seeking to clarify, quote, continuing misinformation about his movements out of the Australian Open tournament. And a rat who won fame for finding landmines in Cambodia has died. Magawa sniffed out more than 100 landmines and other explosives. He was awarded a gold medal for his efforts and has been called a hero. Rats can locate mines apparently very quickly. One rat can clear an area the size of a tennis court in about 30 minutes. A human, meantime, with a metal detector takes up to four days. The more you know, Scott. I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon. Up next, John has his unusual activity trades. We'll step away. We'll come back and do that next. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Unusual activity time. Dr. J, what do you have for us today? We're going to give you three of them today, Scott, starting with FANG. Yep, Diamondback Energy, F-A-N-G, big buyers of the March 135 calls. Stocks up from 65 in August, Scott, to through 125 yesterday, down a little bit today. I bought these calls today. Um, Two others that I already owned, Freeport, FCX, they were buying 36,000 calls in one single print, 36,000, 3.6 million share equivalent at the, uh, what, February 46 strike. They have been rolling, 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 up, 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 Scott, making money on these trades. Uh, The third and final, Lucid, um, it's right now uh, weekly calls that expire this Friday, the 14th. They're buying the 50 strike calls with the stock at 46. I think it could get to 50, but I'm buying... 45s and selling upsides against it, Scott. All right, interesting stuff. Busy man. Dr. J, thank you very much. Coming up, the first big IPO of the year. It prices after the bell. Tonight, we'll tell you what it is and discuss if you should get in. We'll do it next. The first big IPO of the year, getting ready to price later tonight. Leslie Picker following the money for us, as always. Les, what should we expect, and who is it? Hey, Scott, yeah. Just uh, getting word from a few sources on this one that TPG's bankers are guiding investors to pricing around the midpoint of the range. That would imply an offering size of $1 billion and a valuation above $9 billion. Final pricing should be announced tonight. TPG flirted with this idea of joining its private equity peers in the public markets for years, and the firm saw opportunity in 2021. Take a look at shares of Blackstone doubling last year. KKR, Carlisle, Aries, each returning more than 70%. 
Apollo was technically the laggard, if you can call it that, but still doubling the S&P. So TPG set terms last week seeking a $9.5 billion valuation at the high end of its range, but soon after the equity markets declined, thanks in, pop, in part to a pop in yields. So too went those lucrative alternative asset managers, although they've recovered a bit and many of them are trading higher today. Now, the macro concern is that these business models, which haven't really been tested in the public markets in anything but a low interest rate environment, could see headwinds from a shift in monetary policy as we're undergoing right now. A higher risk-free rate puts pressure on the managers of buyout funds to find bigger exits to deliver a higher premium to their investors. It can also make debt financing and refinancing more expensive. Now, I'm told by a source the TPG has been emphasizing their growth and impact investing portfolios that may be more insulated from this rising rate environment, Scott. Yeah, good. I mean, a good test overall for the IPO market after a rough year and a tried and true name in, in the business that they're in. That's absolutely right. It's interesting timing, given that it's the first one of size that we are uh, mentioning. A billion-dollar IPO is definitely a large one. And it comes after a year where 61% of the 2021 class of IPOs are underwater. So the question, I think, is going to be this idea of how likely investors are to really fork over money for these new issues. We saw more of a growth-based IPO pull its deal today. TPG, it's been around since 1993. It's certainly not a new company. It's not an untested company. It has a track record. This could be more of the model for IPOs that we see this year, more of kind of the cyclical nature, uh, not newer companies, profitable companies. I think you can expect to see more of that in 2022. Appreciate it, Leslie. Thank you. That's Leslie Picker. Doc, you have an order in, right? You hope to get an allocation here. Yep. Um, uh, the board that I was on, Scott, we got merged into another company. I'm not on that board anymore, so I can once again participate, and I hope I get some on this one. Joe, quickly, you previously owned KKR, so you're familiar with private equity and the returns that the stocks have had. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with Leslie Moore. This is the type of company we want to come public. TPG is incredibly uh, qualitative in its nature. 20% of the assets are in Asia. They have a specific focus on impact investing in ESG. Uh, I, along with Doc, would look to buy this name. Okay. We will take a break. We'll come back. We'll answer some of your questions next. We are back for Ask Halftime in just two minutes. All right, let's answer your questions now. Mary in San Diego, California asks, would you sell Apple to buy Facebook in 2022 for a better return? That's an interesting question. Steve Weiss, what do you say? And again, I just bring up that I'm sure a lot of people say, oh, heck no, I would never do that. Stephanie Link sold Alphabet and put money into Facebook. So, you know, there is precedent to selling one mega cap and heavily loved stock and putting it into Facebook. So gun to head, if I had to pick one, I would pick Facebook. The reason I own Apple is because I do believe they're going to have some new products coming out this year that are going to drive the stock. But that's sort of a guess right now in terms of fundamentals, in terms of valuation, in terms of growth, as Jenny pointed out before, I would definitely own Facebook over Apple. Jenny? But you can own them both, and I do. I think you need to consider what kind of account you're doing this in. If it's an IRA and there's no tax consequence, I agree 100% with Steve for exactly that reason. You've got Apple with a 5%-ish earnings growth for the next couple of years. You've got Facebook with high teens, low 20s. You've got Facebook trading at 23 times, Apple at 31 times. 
But if it's a taxable account and you're going to get hammered on your capital gains, then it's a little bit of a different equation. Joe, how do you answer this question? Doesn't fit with my process. Um, if you basically look at a chart of Facebook, the moving averages and the price look like a ball of yarn. They're all jumbled together. Apple, on the recent sell-off, it didn't even touch the 50-day moving average. So, you know, I believe in buying strength. That's where confidence is reflected in technical formations. I love the buyback from Apple. And I still think that Facebook will have midterm election year regulatory challenges. Okay. All right. We'll do final trades next. You like that? It was all right. Yeah. All right, tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern, do not miss the 200th episode of American Greed, covering the trial of Elizabeth Holmes with insights from former employees, whistleblowers, and experts. Here's a sneak peek. I think her great strength was selling the vision, you know, getting investors excited in the vision. She has great charisma, great charm, and she's a great saleswoman. And thanks to her parents' connections, Holmes has another advantage that many Silicon Valley founders lack. Easy access to billionaires, including Oracle founder Larry Ellison. She was able to get Larry Ellison to invest money. And I think once she had Ellison involved, I think it became a lot easier. Because from Ellison, she got George Schultz, and then she's off to the races. Oh, can't wait to see that. The 200th episode of American Greed that premieres tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern right here on CNBC. We're back right after this with Final Trades. Call your attention to the market here. 10-year note yield, 171, holding steady. NASDAQ's been moving a little bit higher, up two-thirds of 1%, 15,245. S&P's above 4,747.33. And there is the Dow in the green as well at 36,354. We were having a conversation earlier as we less than 48 hours away from earnings season. Some of the banks reporting this week. Dr. J, we were talking about two calls on Wells Fargo and you just bought Wells Fargo calls. Yes, sir. Um, so I talked about all the people who have been upgrading this one, Scott, mm -hmm. and it's across the board. Uh, they're upgrading targets. They're upgrading outlook. Um, I was not in it. I told you I was not in because I had not seen this buying, and now we just have. So whether it was one of your viewers watching uh, that decided to pull the trigger, they bought 28,000 calls. So if it's one of the viewers, Scott, it's somebody running some institutional money because that's a big trade, 2.8 million share equivalent, just a dollar out of the money on those calls, 5750s out in February, those are the ones they bought. Wow, all right, we'll make that your final trade. That's good stuff. Jenny, what do you have Thank for you, us sir. today? All right, sticking with our theme of international and energy, I'll give you one from our international dividend portfolio. Total, eight times earnings, 5.6% yield, direct beneficiary of higher oil prices. Okay, Steve Weiss? 51 job, ticker's J-O-B-S, the only Chinese stock I own. I bought it last month in the 40s. They had a bid on the table, management taking a private at $79. They dropped it to 57.50 today, or 57 and a quarter. So it's a good R play, an easy 10%. I think the deal goes for at least this price. Wow. Okay. We'll keep our eyes on that one. Joe? Communication equipment, F5. FFIV is the ticker symbol. All right. Good stuff. Uh, just point out the markets uh, again. Hold in there pretty well, considering the, uh, the CPI print we got. Rates are behaving, and stocks are up. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. 
can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Imagine a beautiful afternoon. The sun is shining and you get to enjoy it all because you just sat down on your John Deere mower. The smooth ride lets you escape into your yard. Intuitive controls make you feel like you're one with the machine. And with attachments for every season, you can enjoy it all year long. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand what it's like to drive a John Deere mower, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.